Hi, and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. My name is Nick Amell. I'm Brandon. It's Spooktober still. It is Spooktober, but I got confused. I must have thought it was February because <sighs> I've made a Valentine for you. Before you tell me about my fucking weird, creepy Valentine. Tell everybody how the show works and then I'll tell you what your Valentine is. You need to stop acting like you aren't going to like it because I know you're going to love it. Who doesn't love a good Valentine, especially one from a sweaty man who eats a lot of hot dogs at the airport. So again, my name's Nick, he's Brandon. Together, we make up the host and sidekick host of the Tennis Podcast. Every week, we cover a different top tennis list. Sometimes the list is 10, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. Anyway, one of us brings a top tennis list. The other does not know what the list is until we record and then that person tries to guess in real time with you. Do you want to do your, sur- your surrogate spiel again? Oh, um, if you are listening to this, Nick is your uh, proxy this week. He is... I regret it. He is your avatar. Your guesses are, are now Nick's guesses and Nick's guesses are yours. And my ha- your hands are now my hands and you don't want to know what my hands are doing. But we're recording this and releasing this episode in October 2019 and all October long, we're supposed to be doing Spooktober, which Still is... Still spooky. It's okay. a, this is a spooky Spooktober Valentine for you. All right. Tell me my Valentine. Your Valentine is, I thought, what would give Nick no greater Spooktober pleasure than to discuss the 10 best Stephen King novels. <gasps> Are you ready oh. to apologize to me? Well, I need to know what this is based on. If it's based on your shitty opinion. No. Okay. It's kind of difficult to rank uh, an author's books. I tried to uh, first do it by book sales, but I couldn't find accurate figures for those. So, I had to go with a ranking that's something that is more or less opinion-based. But I went to an authority, a book selling and book reading authority, barnesandnoble.com. Okay. Do you think there is an organization in the world collectively that knows books better than Barnes & Noble? Stephen King. Well, his own books, right, but we're not asking him. Anyway, Barnes and Noble. Well, tell the folks at home what Barnes and Noble Barnes is. Barnes and Noble is a big... Is it a barn? It, what, what farmland is it on? It's the Walmart of... Isn't this funny? It's the Walmart of bookstores. They come in and destroy locally owned bookstores <laughs> and they gobble them up with their partners, no. Starbucks and Lego and Funko Pop. Wow. Did you know that there's a bunch of Legos and Funko Pops in Barnes and Noble now? Nope. Mm-hmm. The section that used to contain CDs that nobody yeah. buys anymore. Oh, you know what? I did, see, I did see that last time I was there. Yeah, now it's full of nerd stuff. Yeah. That's a good idea, honestly. It is. I mean, because nobody's going to Barnes & Noble to buy a movie or a CD. No, but nerds go in there to hang out and they'll buy Funko Pops. Yeah. Okay. So, this is an opinion piece from Barnes & Noble's website. Correct. Okay. I only put the top 20 on my list. We're going to discuss the top 10. I've got up to the top 20. But they've ranked all of them. Based on which ones they think are is the best, like best story, best writing. Yes. Uh, yeah. Quality, critical reception, popular. I think they rank them based so on... It's, it's not the scariest, it's the best. Right. But I w- let's see, out of this top 10, I would say that one, two, four, five, six. A case could be made, a great case could be made that 70% of them are firmly in the horror genre and the others are extremely recognizable even outside of the book. Yeah. Is it including novellas and short story collections? This does not include collections, although there is one series 
of novels listed as one. Yeah, I know what it is. Yeah, and I'm sh- I'm sure you do, but I will say that when we when all is said and done and you look back on this Spooktober Valentine, you will Why is this a Valentine's? Because it was for you because you love Stephen King. This is your chance to, to <sighs> Why not a Christmas gift? Why is it a Valentine's? Cuz it's made out of love. Mm. And this is the chance for you to get up to your elbows in Stephen King. At the end of the episode, I think you will look back and agree overall with this ranking. I think there is probably not a lot to disagree with here. Let's baseline here for our listeners, especially our new listeners. You're listening to two people that have read a lot of Stephen King books. Mm -hmm. I've read almost all of them. But for those that aren't big Stephen King fans, I want to... And I've I've said this before in our our past book episodes, but I just want to real quick make the case that Stephen King is not a typecast horror novelist. He has a lot of... Well, we'll get into that. This this will reveal that. Yeah, I just want the people that are listening that have never read Stephen King to tune out because they think it's all spooky shit. I mean, because there's a lot of very famous, very well-received movies that are not horror that you've probably seen that you love that you might not even know are from Stephen King. Yeah, so shut up and quit judging. It's Spooktober. Yeah. Spooktober Valentine's Day. All right. Let's do it. Why don't you tell me some of his novels that you're sure would not be in the top 10. Real quick, can you tell me when this was written, this list? It was in 2012. Okay. So, then that's important because he's had some good novels after that that aren't going to be on here. They wouldn't crack this top 10. Not in the top 10, The Regulators. No. These are including the Bachman books, right? Everything he's written. Stephen King also released a lot of novels under a pseudonym, Richard Bachman. So, I'm going to say The Regulators is not on there. Desperation. Nope. The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Nope. I'm giving some easy ones here. Dreamcatcher. Dreamcatcher. That's not a good one. Bag of Bones. Nope. Okay. So, let me do a Duma little- Duma Key. Duma Key. <laughs> yeah. I read that one. Let me do some that are a little more uh, surprising maybe. Middle of the Road. Yeah. I'm going to say that Under the Dome is not in the top 10. It's not in the top 20. Hmm. I'm going to say that Cujo is not in the top 10. Cujo is not in the top 20. Huh, okay. Where do you think Gerald's game falls? Between 10 and 20. It's number 18. I'm going to slay this thing. Maybe. Where do you think Insomnia falls? Not in the top 20. Insomnia is number 16. That's interesting because I've read an interview with Stephen King where he says Insomnia is one of his worst books. I read it and I agree. A story about a super old man who can't sleep. Yeah, was it about you? Mm-mm. Well, you can sleep. You have no trouble falling asleep in your fucking recliner every night. Well, and Stephen King went through a phase in the 80s where he doesn't even remember a lot of the books he wrote because he was so hopped up on that crack cocaine. He should be on goofballs more because that's when, uh, when he was high on goofballs is when he wrote some good stuff. So, one of my favorite King books is one of his least favorite and that's The Tommyknockers. It was a TV movie in the 90s, maybe late 80s, but it's also being remade by James Wan of The Conjuring Universe. It is not in the top 20. That's what I was going to ask. Okay. If you ever want a fucking trip, read The Tommyknockers. It is fucked up. Uh, reading this list made me aware of a couple of these books I haven't read before that I definitely want to. I was kind of uh, disappointed that I read the plot summary for the book because I ruined the book for myself. Oh, did it give spoilers? Yeah, I read the plot summary as part of putting these notes together and oh, see what wow. kind of... And when I got to the end, I was like, oh, fuck, I should have read that book. Brandon's bulletins fuck you over. I'm going to be careful in here not to spoil some of these books that you haven't read yet. I'm ready to guess. Yeah, let's get into it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some that I think are in the, the 11 to 20 range. 
Okay. I think Needful Things is in 11 to 20. It is 19. Boom. Have you read it? No, I know that it's... I know that they've made a movie or something about it at some point. Yeah, I think it starred uh, Ed Harris. That's another mark in its favor. But there is a Stephen King renaissance going on right now. There's so many big Stephen King projects. I mean, there's It, obviously. Castle Rock on Hulu, great series. Oh, I need to watch Castle Rock. They're doing the Stand series mm-hmm. on CBS All Access soon. They're doing With the Dark. Whoopi. But there's also a ton of shit in the works. And the Tall Grass is coming out this month on Netflix, which is a Stephen King work. Netflix did Gerald's Game and 1922. Um, and then the Tommyknockers is coming out. Doctor Sleep, which is the Shining sequel. So, it is a good time to jump on the Stephen King bandwagon if you are behind because there's so much shit coming out. So, on that note, I'm going to guess that Dr. Sleep is not in the top 20. Nope. Okay, 11 to 20. I'm going to guess that uh, The Long Walk is 11 to 20. It's 15. Boom. Nailed it. That's also being made into a movie. The Long Walk is about dystopian future where every year they have a group of volunteers Mm -hmm. that are, I believe, 18 and younger of boys that take The Long Walk and that's where they start in Maine and they literally walk without stopping, no breaks, they walk until they die across the country. So, like hundreds of miles and Uh they have to keep up a certain pace with no breaks and if they don't keep up a certain pace, they get three chances and on the third strike, they're shot on sight by like this military force. And why do they do this again? Are they made to? It's part of some sort of like, you know, when the United States fell and was rebuilt, it's like almost like the Hunger Games where it's like a reminder thing but also the winner gets extraordinary wealth. Yeah, there's a lot of that phenomenon in dystopian novels. Yeah, Long Walk's really, really good. Let me start guessing in the top 10. I'm going to guess that uh, Carrie is in the top 10. Carrie is number 7. I knew it. Now, did you read Carrie? Yeah, isn't it about the lady uh, that lives in New York, has a group of friends. Cute little uh, journalist who likes shoes. Sex in the City. That's it. It's a prequel. Carrie is a prequel to Sex in the City. Published in 1974, it is, I, I learned this word when I was putting this together and it's a, an apostolary horror novel. Do you know what apostolary means? Uh, yes, but why don't you tell the folks at home? It means that the novel is told through a series of documents like letters, yeah. diaries, police reports, news clippings. Uh, the movie, the, uh, the book, The Martian was written in an apostolary manner. It was uh, mm-hmm. data entries and, and things like that. Not data entries, but diary entries. Anyway, uh, Carrie uh, uses that to describe the damage, uh, the terror, the effects of the terror re- unleashed upon the town by the title character. Uh, the book revolves around the eponymous Carrie White, an unpopular, friendless mitfit a bullied high school girl who uses her newly discovered telekinetic powers to exact revenge on those who torment her. Wasn't she also a sidekick podcast host? No. Uh, did you actually read this or not? Yes, it's great. When did you? It was, it was Stephen King's first published novel in the 70s. He was, I think, he was mid-20s when he published it. How old were you when you read this book? Probably oh. in my 20s. See, that's a difference between you and I is that about half of these books I read for the first time and in many cases, the only time uh, I read his books when I was between the ages of like 11 and 15. So, I was a great reader but I read stuff that I probably should not have been reading at that age. 
Good. Now look at you. Carrie is the first time I'd ever like learned about menstruation. Like I had to, oh, I had to go on. I thought on that a, was from Killer Clowns in Space when you first learned about it. I had it. to go down a whole rabbit hole figuring out what the beginning of that book was about and what that meant and uh and of course, the internet hadn't come out yet. You you read this right when it came out, right? So, you had to just use clues from this book to, to find out your 11-year-old mind what menstruation was. I probably read this book in 1992 or 1993. Uh, but it blew my mind. It did scare the shit out of me. Yep. To me, the scarier part of the book, the part that was scarier than Carrie and her powers uh, was her crazy religious nut mom who abused her. For sure. And it really stuck out to me and disturbed me as a kid that Carrie's mom called her breasts her dirty pillows. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. She was grossed out by her own body and it, it bothered me. You know, I wouldn't even classify it as scary. It had... See, here's the thing with me. For every Stephen King book, I would argue this. Even his darkest like it, I would say it's a book that's very deep. And there's just a lot of elements of horror sprinkled throughout. But like It is, which I know is going to be in the top 10, maybe number one. But It is my favorite book ever. It's the first Stephen King book I read. I was 17. I've reread it since then. But it's the book that got me into like reading for fun as well. It is about childhood and memory and how your childhood impacts you today and friendship those are the themes of it and it uses clown and the horror and the evil as a backdrop. That's how I view it and I view Carrie the same way because Carrie is about this poor girl who has a terrible home life, an abusive mother and the... She's ab abused at school too. Abused at school, right. I was just getting to that. The social realities of her life at school. That's really the main themes to me. It's a sad book. It's a tragic book and it leads to the horror at the end. So... For whatever that's worth. It's worth a lot on this. Hell of an ass on her mom too, I'll say. <sighs> but, well, let's do it next. I'm going to guess it is number two. Holy shit. On the tits of a dog. Yes, it is number two on the list. Knew it. Uh, it was published in 1986. For the few who have not yet seen either the film or the miniseries or read it, story follows the experiences of seven children as they're terrorized by an evil entity that exploits the fears of its victims to disguise itself while hunting its prey. It primarily appears in the form of Pennywise the Dancing Clown to attract its preferred prey of young children. The novel is told through narratives alternating between two periods. Mm -hmm. The novel is uh, split between 1958 and 1985. The films are split between something like 1985 and... 1989 and 2016. It's, I think it's interesting that I don't think Stephen King gets enough credit for the different ways in which he writes. There's a lot of famous, successful writers who only write in omniscient third person or only write in yeah. first person and they may switch the characters but they have a way that they write. He can write in any way. I just the, just the first two books in the top uh, in the top ten that we talked about. Carrie uh, was supported by epistolary documents and supporting letters and police reports, so he can write like a journalist. And then it uses a completely different uh, third person omniscient, uh, in which he also kind of this is he it, bounces around pretty seamlessly. 
Anyway, uh, like you mentioned earlier, it deals with themes uh, that eventually become Stephen King's staples, uh, the power of memory, childhood trauma, and its recurrent echoes in adulthood, and overcoming evil through mutual trust and sacrifice, and also mm-hmm. kids banging away at each other. Okay, you just had to do it, didn't you? It's a powerful book. Uh, I'd recommend it for anyone, but there is a scene in the book that is not in any of the movies for good reason, and that is that, well... Spoiler, I guess. Adolescents have consensual sex. Well, (laughs) six boys take turns having sex with one girl and they're all about 11 or 12 years old. It was her idea. Her idea. Her idea makes it sound bad too. Whatever. It's something that they- It is her idea. Without spoiling it, it is explained in the novel as something that they have to do in order to- To deepen their connection to each other. Right. In order to survive and their connection is part of what- it basically gives them power or strength or whatever. To fight it, yep. It sounds completely crass and disgusting and it is maybe not the easiest read but for what it is, it is pretty well executed. Hot take? For what it is. Anyway. Well, I know Stephen King is listening right now and he's just stood up out of his chair and is clapping in his house. Yeah. I have not seen the it chapter two movie. It's good. So, I'm not quite sure how an adult Henry Bowers features in that movie. But in the book, Henry Bowers, both as a child and as adult, was to me, again, like the scariest part of the novel because he's a oh, yeah. real person who's just nuts, abused and nuts. One of my favorite podcasts is The Losers Club. Mm-hmm. It's a Stephen King specific podcast and one of the hosts there, Randall, gushes about Henry Bowers every chance he gets. About how- Calls it the Bauer Hour. About how scary and good, great of a character he is. Yeah, about how he thinks he's like the perfect typecast of a scary bully. Both in the film and in the novel, he is a repugnant, like horrible person and but there are still points where King writes it in such a way that you sympathize with him. Stephen King is pretty good about taking you into the mind of every character. Yeah. Uh, now, I wanted to talk a little bit about it. The it, the thing it, not the story, the actual it, about its true form. Okay. A lot of people who aren't familiar with it think that it is just looks like a spooky clown. Like a person dressed as a clown. That's right. Yeah. That's just his preferred or his or her. He's a shapeshifter. Right. He's a shapeshifter. Yeah. And it's a her. And it even has like a, a species or a type of creature that it is that is ancient and possibly from another dimension. In the novel and I think in the film too, it's like final form or it's true form that humans can conceptualize is that of a giant female pregnant spider, which is badass. It's hot as hell too, am I right? I also want to know what like its powers. So, there is a like a Stephen King wiki that I was checking out. A Stephen King what? Winky? Wiki. Like a Wikipedia just for Stephen King's universe. And the powers and abilities of it are low-tier omnipotence, telepathy, mind control and possession, shape-shifting, illusions, invisibility, telekinesis, possibly weather control, teleportation within the town of Derry, superhuman strength, superhuman speed, and near invulnerability. Are you describing it or Mel Gibson? <laughs> shape-shifting. <laughs> And the, but its weaknesses is that it, it's very narcissistic. It, You're giving some spoilers here. 
Uh, also, it must obey the physical laws of its form. So, if he's Pennywise, he has to... Pennywise, if a clown can't shoot fire out of his fingers, I guess he can't do that. But if he's a bat, he has to act like a bat and be a bat. If he's a werewolf, you could shoot him with a silver bullet. Or if he's a vampire, you could stab him with a stake through the heart. Wouldn't the stake just kind of bend and wiggle when you do it? Or do you, maybe you cook it to a medium, uh, medium done, and then... This is a bad, bad joke. No, okay. Yeah, so that's it. It was number two. So, so far, you're a pretty accurate guesser. I'm 99% sure what number one is, but I'm going to save it. Okay. Because I'm not a selfish asshole like you. So, my next guess is going to be The Green Mile. The Green Mile is number 10. Knew it. Now, I read The Green Mile, I think I was in my 20s when I read The Green Mile. I was an adult. I think it was just before or around the time that the film version came out. Starring America's Sweetheart, Tom Hanks. And Michael Clark Duncan, rest in peace. Uh, who I just found out, did you know before he died of a heart attack at the age of 54, he was engaged to Amarosa? I don't know who that is. Amarosa is the lady that was on The Apprentice who also served in Trump's White House. Oh, and she's a tennis patron. Yeah. Yeah, she's- Now, a- I recognize her now. Yeah. So, The Green Mile, a good example of what I was saying at the top where a lot of movies that pe- non-King readers love, they might not even know Stephen King. The Green Mile is a great example because it is not a horror novel. There's elements of horror in it, less so than like an it, but great book, great movie. Yeah, it came out uh, as a, a serial novel in 1996 and it tells the story of death row supervisor Paul Edgecombe's encounter with John Coffee, like the drink but not spelled the same. <laughs> An unusual inmate who displays inexplicable healing and empathetic abilities. Did you know that uh, Michael Clark Duncan was nominated for a ton of awards for that? It was the only yeah. role I think he was in where he was nominated for awards. Oh, not the Scorpion King? No. Or I was looking at his list of movies and it kind of reads like Cuba Gooding Jr. where kind of early-ish in their career, they had this one really special role. And then they ended up doing shit like Snow Dogs. <laughs> Don't you dare fucking take Snow Dog's name in vain. What? I mean, did Cuba Gooding Jr. do... He was good in um, the OJ oh, series. Oh, that's right. I forgot he was That OJ. came out like two years ago. Yeah, he kind of had a reconnaissance. Macon- <sighs> Matthew. Yeah, he kind of had one of those things. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey is the same where he had this really critically acclaimed role in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and then he's done shit ever since. Exactly. Now, The Green Mile, for those of you who do not like movies or books where an animal gets hurt, The Green Mile has a part where a mouse gets stomped on. Yes. But as, a, as the, one of the first demonstrations of his healing abilities, John Coffey heals that mouse. Spoilers left and right today. Jesus, you got to give warnings to this shit, Brandy. Well, I know that sometimes people who are sensitive about animals go into a movie and they see that happen. They say, I'm turning this shit off right now. Are I'm you speaking from personal experience? I'm speaking because, <laughs> yeah, got one of them in my home. <laughs> if something bad happens to the mouse, don't worry, he'll be fine. He or she will be fine, you sexist fucking pig. Green Miles number 10. You have 10, 7, and okay. 2. 
Uh, so, this is a novella, so I'm not sure if it counts, but if it does, I'm going to guess Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank next. Redemption does not count. Uh, there are, these are only full-length novels or series of okay. novels. Shawshank Redemption, maybe a uh, top five movie for me, but mm-hmm. the mo- this is a very rare occurrence. Like, I can't even think of any besides this where I like the movie more than the book because nine times out of ten, the book is better than the movie. But I think the movie is just so fucking good with Shawshank that it is better than the book. I don't, I don't think it's the best movie I've ever seen but man, it's, it is certainly up there. But yeah, I think the film is better than the novella and the novella itself was really great too. I, I, I used, yeah. used that novella in an AP English project once. You just got to brag about how fucking smart you think you are, don't you college boy? <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Guy who also went to college. So, you said this list was 2012 and this book came out in 2011. I'm going to guess that number between 7 and 9, 7, 8 or 9 is 112263. You are correct. Knew it. 112263 is number 8 on the list. I am, if you get out a crayon and color me, impressed. Yep. 112263 was published in 2011. It is, uh, as Nick mentioned earlier, it is not a horror, it's not a Stephen King horror novel. In fact, this one barely has elements of horror. I agree. Yeah. It is a science fiction alternative history novel in which a time traveler attempts to prevent the assassination of JFK. Which is where the title comes from, the date, 11-22-63. Right. I usually don't give a rat's ass about the love story aspect in a novel, especially when you're trying to pull me away from something I am as interested and passionate about as the Kennedy assassination and Lee Harvey Oswald. But I've mentioned this to you before. In reading this book, I was just as if not more so compelled by the personal relationships of the main character than I was Mm -hmm. about all the stuff that involved Oswald and conspiracies. Yep. That's saying a lot. And I have to say, King has a reputation um, in some circles of not being able to end a book well. I would call this one of his best endings. Well, do you know his son? His son, Joe Hill, yeah, yeah helped him. His yeah. son suggested it. And his son is a pretty talented uh, writer in his own, in his own right. Mm-hmm. I don't want to tell much more about 11-22-63. I'll say if you've seen the Hulu series, the book is different and still contains surprises. And it's better. You will enjoy it uh, just as much if not more. And if you are at all into the Kennedy assassination or time travel, because it's a really great time travel uh, book too, Mm -hmm, Stephen King is very good about doing the thought exercises or research into the logistics of something. So, if you give him a fantastic premise like step through this portal and every time you step through it is the same date and time in 1958, he will go through the realistic logistics of what that is like and it like those little details that he's able to put in are what really sell these stories to me. Yep. For those that have been listening to us for a long time, really we talked about this book before. Call this episode Swinging from His Nuts. Yeah. Hey, I'm fine. I'm I'm all in on Swinging from His Nuts. But we did talk a lot about this book back in episode 35, which w- which was our favorite books is the is the episode. So for more king, you can listen to that. I'll say one more thing about this book. It's one of my favorites. This, I think if you're new to King and or you aren't as into the horror side of King, this is my number one recommendation for a book to start with from him because I think anybody, 
anybody, no matter what kind of style of book you like, I think anybody could get into this book if you read it. If you're listening and you want to get into Stephen King and you are on a budget, the top two books to get into them, if you just wanted to leap right in, I would say is pick up a paperback of different seasons. It has four novellas, which are just slightly longer than a short story. One of them is Shawshank Redemption. Another one is called The Body. If you enjoyed the movie Stand By Me, the story of the, bo- uh, the Body is what it's based on. Anyway, you get all four stories in that one paperback called Four Seasons. And then uh, I agree, the other one I would say is 112263. Yeah. Stand By Me is another big one that people are familiar with that might not know Stephen King. All right. Okay. Uh, let me give another guess here. I'm going to guess that either number three, four, or five is Salem's Lot. No. Salem's Lot Fuck is number... Fuck you. No. Don't say it. It's, it's uh, seven. Nine. Damn you it. just well, guessed hey. number seven was Carrie. Oh, I thought Carrie was six. No. Carrie is seven. And Salem's Lot is number nine. Now, I read Salem's Lot. Did you read it? Yeah, it's the second Stephen King book I ever read. Okay. Well, it's... So, I was a teenager. Yeah, I... It may be the second or third of his books I read. I, it was a long time ago and I remember very little of it. It's a 1975 horror novel. This is a very straight horror novel. It is about fucking vampires. And it's his second published novel. The story involves a writer named Ben Mears who returns to the town of Jerusalem's Lot or Salem's Lot for short, in Maine, only to discover that the residents are becoming vampires. And there's a, a did you mention there's a new movie announced of this one too? Yeah, I was, I was trying to remember if that was the case. So. so, I looked over the plot and it's interesting but for the most part it just seems like a lot of vampire fighting and vampire fucking. <laughs> so, true blood. And there is a, um, there's an image where the main vampire character Kurt Barlow Looks yep. like Nosferatu and it's, he has so many sharp teeth sticking out of his head that he can't close his mouth. And I think those are the, some of the most fun vampires to look at because they look all fucked up and spooky. Do you like to look at those vampires more than you do the vampires on Pornhub? I like a Nosferatu vampire more than I like, you know, like a sexy Twilight vampire. I like it to him to look like an ugly beast. My favorite yucky vampire is in Bram Stoker's Dracula when Keanu Reeves stars as Keanu Reeves in Dracula and he meets Gary Coleman, uh, Gary Oldman, not Gary Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Bram Stoker's Dracula with Gary Coleman as Dracula. You know what I'm talking about, the tiny little African-American guy. I was wondering how you would describe him. Yes, I do know who you're talking about. He's tiny. He doesn't want to be known as tiny. He's... <laughs> Apologies to... Is he dead? I don't know. Gary Coleman, let's see. He might be able to be a vampire. He's dead. Oh, he fell down the stairs and hit his head. Oh, shit. Ah. Uh, You don't become a vampire after that. No, rest in peace, Gary Coleman. Listener of the show, post-mortem. Okay, my next guess is going to be... I'm going to guess number four, Pet Cemetery. No, Pet Cemetery is number 11. Didn't crack the Ooh, top 10. That's a shame. Pet Cemetery is in my personal top 5. There's one book in the top 10 that I have read a word of and it is the one in the number 4 spot. Okay, so you you mentioned a series, so we'll we'll go with the Dark Tower series as number 3. The Dark Tower series is number 3. Fucking nailed it. 
Now, I've read the first couple books. Hang on, can we pause the episode so you can drive over to my house and pat me on the back and, and maybe my dick? Uh-uh. No, Dark Tower series. I've read some of the books. You read the whole thing. It's nine books published from 1998 to 2004. It is... No, no, no. You said 1998? Yeah. No, it, the first book was in the 70s. Oh, well... Okay. Like 75, I think. All right, well, fuck it. It is dark fantasy, science fantasy, horror, and western all wrapped up into one. And how do you begin to describe it? It's a gunslinger. It's hard. There's yeah. a gunslinger in his quest to reach the Dark Tower. His, the gunslinger's name is Roland DeShane, and his enemy is the man in black. Now, God bless. It's, it's hard to explain. Explain but- to the folks at home the, the entire Dark Tower series. You got it. Easy. King was inspired by the Lord of the Rings series, mm-hmm. if that helps. Loader. What's that? Loader is what us Tolkien. Okay. I'm not, yeah. I don't follow him. I, do people ever say Elo, like say Lord nope. of the Rings like Loader? Nope. Oh, well, fuck it. You only yellow once. <laughs> there was a movie like two years ago with Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey called The Dark Tower. And it was bad, right? It was very bad and um, they were trying to wrap nine books up into a 90-minute movie. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it was an impossible feat but they're rebooting this, the series as a TV series. I want to say it's on Amazon uh, and it's in development now. Anyway, Dark Tower is about Roland Deschain, the last gunslinger who is in his quest to get to the Dark Tower and standing in his way is the man in black uh, which is also the villain in another top 10 book, I'm going to guess. Yeah, it's got a lot of fantasy, it's got a lot of horror. Go read it. I mentioned that I started reading it and when I started reading it, I had a lot of questions for you because you were trying to explain how it opens up this larger Stephen King universe that I yes. I think I referred to as like somewhat Lovecraftian in nature. There are some supernatural, fantastical elements to it, some elements of dystopia or a apocalyptic future. For sure. It's got a little bit of everything in it but you mentioned to me once that like, I swear to God you told me once that fucking Yoda is in it and Star Wars and shit. Yes. How? Uh, I honestly, I can't remember how Star Wars is in it. I just remember Star Wars being a critical point in one of the books. Um, so, is the Wizard of Oz and so is Stephen King himself. It's a, it's, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> you know how hard it is for me to reconcile it? Like, I'm not calling you a liar and I'm not saying it's stupid or anything like that. I, it's just so hard for me to understand how did he do it in a way where everyone didn't say this is fucking stupid and ridiculous. It, well, some it, people do say that. Did you think it was stupid and ridiculous? No. Well, see- Are there I Ninja need, Turtles or Batman? I, I don't recall specifically but it would not have surprised me. This to, also to reminds me of the end of Ready Player One where fucking everything you've ever thought was cool in a video game or movie shows up to fight the bad guy. No, it's nothing like that. I'll just say that the Dark Tower series is like the most meta literature I've ever read in my life and it it connects to a ton of other Stephen King books including in this top 10. (laughs) Including shit he doesn't own the rights to. And including shit he doesn't own the rights to, right? Yeah. Does he call a lawyer first and say, can I do this? After writing, you know, this is my seventh of nine books. So, there's a lot hanging on this to tie all these together and wrap this shit up but I'm just going to go balls to the wall and throw... Yoda in here. I can't even recall how much of a part it plays. I'll be so disappointed if I read through the end and Yoda does not become a main character. 
No, they're not main characters. It might just be as simple as there's lightsabers. Motherfucker. I'm marking that at some point I will get back into it and I will finish it. Dark Tower, number three. The Stand is number four. The Stand is number six, you fool. Hmm. See, that's one of the points. You could probably argue that. But this is more just a vehicle for you to be able to discuss (laughs) your Valentine, Stephen King books. Now, The Stand. Yes. Happy Valentine's Day. The Stand is the longest book I think I've ever read. It's also one of my favorites. It was published in 1978. It is a post-apocalyptic horror slash fantasy. It is Stephen King's fourth and longest novel. Now, I will tell you, if you are intimidated by the length of a novel, shut the fuck up right now (laughs) because every page is worth it. I think I even got the like extended cut. Well, the extended cut is the version that's really long because the original version when it was first published was I think 800 something pages and the extended cut is 1200. I took the paperback uh, version of the stand with me on a trip once and I got pulled out of the security line when my bag went through the x-ray machine and the guy told, said, hey, he was kind of, he was being cool and normal. He said, hey man, come here. Do you want to see why your bag got flagged? He showed me on the screen that the size of the book because it's so square and obviously made of paper that it shows up on there looking like a block of C4 <laughs> because the book is so square, it's so thick. Yeah, it's weird looking as a paperback. It's almost like you're holding a cube of paper. It's better than what they usually find in your bag, a cube of hot dogs. Yeah. Now, if you have only seen the 1992, I think it is, miniseries of The Stand. It's bad. Yeah, it's it's just okay. But the obviously, the novel is way better. I have high hopes for the miniseries that they're releasing on the CBS app. The Stand is a detailed vision of the total breakdown of society after the accidental release of a strain of influenza that has one of my favorite names in literature, Captain Trips, is the nickname for this infectious disease. It had been modified for biological warfare. It causes an apocalyptic pandemic, kills off over 99% of the world's population. And then the fucking devil shows up. (laughs) My favorite character in that novel, and we talked about it at the time, is the man we mentioned earlier, the man in black who also appears in the Dark Tower series. He's featured in The Stand as Randall Flagg, the walking dude, the man in black, the dark man. He has a lot of names. He's basically the devil incarnate. And in the book, he seduces a woman, one of the survivors. Remember, he takes his pants off and the sight of his... (laughs) His penis uh-huh. terrifies her. It's something about it being like corkscrew or sharp or something. Like he looks human, uh. but he had some sort of torture device where his wiener would be. His wiener. We call it a winky here, Brandon. There's a lot more that goes on in the book than that, but that part did stand out to me like every other part of it is human, but he has a tool made for torture. She still does him though. I said I had some news on the upcoming miniseries. Do you know who's been cast as the man in black as Randall Flagg? Oh, I did hear this. Um, tell me. His name is Alexander Skarsgård. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's it. Well, he was in True Blood. What else has he been in? He was the sexy Tarzan in the new Tarzan that yeah. came out like a year or two ago. I, whatever he's in, he's the sexy version of it. He's the brother of Bill Skarsgård, the real life brother of Bill Skarsgård who plays Pennywise in the new It films. 
and is also in Castle Rock. Yeah. Um, he's also the man in black, Randall Flagg, whatever you want to call him, was also portrayed by Matthew McConaughey in the Dark Tower movie I mentioned earlier. Was he good as him? He was serviceable. The The writing in that movie was just bad. Uh, he didn't have a lot of room or time to shine in it. Was Idris Elba a good yeah, gunslinger? I actually loved Idris as, as Roland. And a lot of people were in an uproar. Oh, because he doesn't look like Clint Eastwood, a squinty yeah, white guy. Exactly. Idris is, is a black man. Uh, spoiler alert. Was and still is. Was and still is and he's a... I actually adore Idris Elba. I, I've never seen him in something where I didn't love him. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Including The Office. He he plays Roland Deschain in the Dark Tower movie and Roland is described in the books as a very close like Clint Eastwood type like Brandon was saying. He looks like the man with no name. Exactly. Uh, which was Clint Eastwood in like The Good, the Bad and the Ugly and those spaghetti westerns. Mm-hmm. But they cast Idris and there was a large percentage of people probably who voted for Trump that were very upset about it. The same people that are upset that the new Ariel and the new Little Mermaid film being made is, I think she might be black or some other nationality besides like an American white girl. Yeah, if that upsets you, just go ahead and suck ass right now. <laughs> you might even say you could unsubscribe from our show. Yeah, unsubscribe. But leave us a review on Apple Podcast first, a good one. Yeah, leave us a five-star review and then F off. And uh, sign up on our Patreon, but then yeah, F off. And buy our merch too at tennispod.com slash merch. All right, okay. don't F off. Give us, give us what you can. Do everything except tell people that you support us. All right, should I uh, round out the top 10 here? Yeah, you have three left and I think one of them I think you'll get and the other two I, th- I think might be a challenge, but... Well, so let's see. Let's get into it. Misery is number five. God damn. I tip my Stephen King hat, which is a very tall top hat with a mm-hmm. bone sticking out of it. <laughs> I tip my Stephen King hat to you. Misery is number five on the list. Misery is another one I have not read in a very long time. But I did refresh myself with uh, on YouTube last night with the scene from the movie. You what yourself? I refreshed myself. Okay. I watched on YouTube last night the scene where uh, Annie hobbles Paul's character with a sledgehammer. Uh-huh. Spoiler alert. Yeah, well, we'll, we're, we'll get to that here in just a moment. So, Misery was released in 1987. It is a psychological horror thriller. The novel's narrative is based on the relationship of its two main characters, the popular writer Paul Sheldon and his psychotic fan Annie Wilkes. When Paul is seriously injured following a car accident, Former nurse Annie brings him to her home. Paul receives treatment and doses of pain medication. Gradually, Paul realizes he is a prisoner and is forced to indulge his captor's whims. And yes, if you have not read the book but seen the movie, you know that Kathy Bates' character Annie Wilkes hobbles James Conn's character Paul Sheldon when she finds out he's been getting up out of the bed and walking around with the house when she's not home. She sticks a wooden block between his ankles and then hits both legs with a sledgehammer and it is fucking rough to watch. <laughs> but that's bad enough to watch. In the novel, she cuts off his foot with an axe and then she cauterizes his ankle with a blowtorch. Later, when he complains about the typewriter she provided, she cuts off his thumb with an electric knife. <laughs> Holy shit! You would think that that sort of violence would stick out to me as a youngster but apparently the girls throwing tampons and Carrie was way more memorable than a guy getting his finger cut off with like a carving knife. 
Misery is good because it's one of those stories that takes place, like most of it takes place in one house, in one room. Mm -hmm. Like Gerald's Game kind of? Like Gerald's Game, yeah. The last thing on Misery that I have here, I did not know this or maybe I did and I forgot about it since I evidently forgot the whole novel. You're getting old. King mentioned that he originally planned uh, for Annie to force Paul Sheldon to write a book and then she would bind the book in his skin. Wow. You know, Misery is one of the books he wrote in his days of being coked out. I think it was the last one he wrote before getting cleaned up. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of, uh, deals a lot with uh, Drug dependency. addiction. Yeah. Didn't Ed Gein cover a book in skin or was that a, no, it was a lampshade. He did a lot of shit with skin. Uh, I don't think he did a book though. Listener of the show, Ed Gein. Well, Nick, I am impressed with your guessing so far. You have two left. Yep. One, I know you're going to nail. I'm very curious about your efforts on the other one. Real quick, before I do that, I'm going to knock out a few more between 11 and 20. Some big okay. name books that I think aren't in the top 10. Christine. 20. 20. Uh, I actually wasn't a fan of Christine. I haven't read that one. Christine is the one about the killer car. Right. Possessed car. Um, I'm going to guess that the dark half is... It's not on here. Not on there. No. Nope. Dark house with Peter Straub. No, that one is not on here. I can give you some clues. One of these is made into a movie that starred Drew Barrymore. Oh, Firestarter. Firestarter is number 12. I haven't read that one, believe it or not. Okay. What am I missing? Uh, here's another hint. Another one of these was made into a film starring Nicolas Cage. National Treasure? In the 90s. No. It involves a gypsy curse. Oh, it's thinner. That's going to be thinner. 17. Wait, did that have Nicolas Cage or am I thinking of something else? I didn't see the movie. I don't know. But okay. But I could be thinking your of something description else. of a gypsy curse is definitely thinner. Right. Which, uh, is that 17? Yes, yeah, 17. Boom. That's one of the Bachman books. Another one of these he wrote, I believe he wrote with his wife, Tabitha. I don't think he has any that Tabitha's like on the byline. The, ta the talisman is number talisman, 13. That's with Peter Straub. Okay. That was number 13. And number 14 is, is the final one that you don't have. Okay. It is a fantasy. It's um, Eyes of the Dragon. The Eyes of the Dragon. I've not read that one either. But I found out today it has a tie into The Man in Black. Yeah, he's the villain in it. And this... I actually haven't read it. I just know about it. It's, uh, I think, sort of Game of Thrones-esque and at yeah. least in setting. Yeah. It's on my list to read. Okay. So, I just need one and four. One, one is definitely four. The Shining. One is indeed The Shining. Released in 1977, it established King as a top horror author. The Shining centers on Jack Torrance, a writer and recovering alcoholic who accepts a job as the off-season caretaker of the historic Overlook Hotel deep in the Colorado Rockies. He brings his wife and his young son, Danny, with him. Danny has psychic abilities that allow him to see the hotel's horrific past. A winter storm leaves the, leaves the family snowbound and the haunted hotel starts to mess with Jack's sanity, placing them all in incredible danger. Most people are very familiar with the film. The Shining film is my favorite film of all time and I saw it before I read The Shining but I also love The Shining. It is now one of my favorite novels of all time and I appreciate the two different stories for two different reasons. Um, it's kind of frustrating to me the people who, the people who strongly prefer one or the other and dismiss the other. I think they are both equally good and you can enjoy, it's almost like, kind of like Castle Rock. 
each one takes the same characters and the same ideas and then explores different themes and presents them in a different way. Basically, you can have two different stories, two different flavors of the same thing and I, I love that. Yeah, the, the movie and the book share themes but are quite different and I love them both as well. And for more on the movie The Shining starring Jack Nicholson, check out our Jack Nicholson episode. Now, in the film, Wendy uh, as portrayed by Shelley Duvall has dark hair and she's kind of uh, meek. Honestly, that's my biggest problem with the movie is the casting. Yeah, in the novel, Wendy is uh, light haired. Uh, which is not a huge difference but the big difference is that her personality is much stronger. She's a stronger, assertive woman. She's a more vigilant and defensive mother for her child and she takes stronger action when there is a threat. Just like a caged animal you might say. She, yeah, she's a caged animal. I'll reiterate that if you enjoyed the movie, just be prepared that the novel is different but different in some really fun and interesting ways and I love it almost as much as I love the film. Do you love it more or less than you love Red Dead Redemption 2? I love it more. I give it five bags of popcorn. <laughs> out of? Just five. Okay. Five out of five. I While you were talking, I realized what number four is. I don't know why I didn't guess it before. It's one of my favorites as well. It's The Dead Zone. Shit. I didn't, you're right. I didn't think you would get it. I have not, this is the one where I said I have not read a word of The Dead Zone. It's great. I wish I hadn't read the plot because now it seems like a book, a story that I would have loved. Well, and it's got a movie starring Christopher Walken. So, I'm really surprised you didn't see it. I never saw it. that movie either. I can't, I don't know how The Dead Zone got around me. There was also a series starring Anthony Michael Hall. I've missed all this stuff and just found out during the course of my research that I fucked up and now I know the story. I can't read the book. You can read the book. You fucked up the story for every one of these fucking things for everyone listening to us right now. Nah. But the dead I zone. I tell you how it ends. Now I know how the dead zone ends. But the dead zone, there's a lot of interesting things to say about it. First, it's not super mainstream like The Shining or It but among King enthusiasts like myself, it's one of, one of his most revered. The Dead Zone, I know you're going to talk about the plot but I'll just give a precursor to that and say that- I'm just giving the premise, not the plot. That, sorry, the premise. The premise of The Dead Zone is very timely with current day presidential politics but I'll leave it at that. Why don't you tell us the premise yeah, of The Dead Zone? that's part of what I fucking spoiled for myself. And it was written in the 70s. Right. came out in 1979. It is a horror slash supernatural thriller. It concerns Johnny Smith. The world's least creative name, Johnny Smith. Hey. He's injured in an accident and he remains in a coma for nearly five years. After he wakes up from his coma, he has clairvoyance and precognition with some limitations, apparently because of a dead zone, an area in his brain that suffered permanent damage as a result of that accident. So, that's all you, that's all you get from me on it because I ruined it for myself is that when he touches people or touches things, he gets little snippets of the future. What do you think he'd get if he touched a big old butt? Whose big old butt? Say uh, Donald Trump's big butt. Uh, well, as of... That's a segue for you. Yeah, as of today, I would say that he would be looking at a big old butt in an orange jumpsuit. Oh, no. He'll get immunity, don't you think? As of today, uh, asterisk President Trump committed a felony on a live video by asking China to investigate the thing that they're about oh. to impeach him over. He just did again out loud 
asking China to investigate the Biden. <laughs> so, he's doubling, nay, tripling down. <laughs> it's nuts. Like, there are historians saying, no, in 230 years, we've never heard of a president doing anything like this. It's because they're scared of the power to make America great again. They just, they're not real American patriots. They're not ready to get great. Yeah. But the reason Trump is relevant to the dead zone is because the dead zone follows Johnny Smith, the main character Brandon was talking about, mm -hmm. and he becomes aware of a man rising in political power named Greg Stilson. A local politician. Yeah, a local right. politician who I believe might eventually become president if nothing changes. Yeah, I guess we'll give you this small premise of the book too. When he touches this local politician, he sees that he becomes president and then causes a global nuclear war. And Greg Stilson, a lot of the traits of him, the politician, resemble the traits of uh, Mr. Donald Trump. But it was written like 40 years before Trump became president. Yeah. It's a great read. And if I recall, it's one of his, it's pretty short, you know, three, 400 pages, which for King is short. So, yeah. Uh, well, it couldn't have been much longer than the wiki article that I used to ruin the book for myself. <laughs> read it anyway. It's good. Nick nailed it. If you're just tuning in and I don't know why you mm -hmm. would fast forward to the end of a podcast, but uh, clearly you have. And for those just tuning in, Nick has nailed most of the top 20 best Stephen King novels as identified by barnesandnoble.com, which I will now read to you in order. Number 20 is Christine, 19, Needful Things, 18, Gerald's Game, 17, Thinner, 16, Insomnia, 15, The Long Walk, 14, The Eyes of the Dragon, 13, The Talisman, The Talisman, number 12, Firestarter, 11, Pet Cemetery, and then the top 10, 10, Green Mile, 9, Salem's Lot, 8, 11, 22, 63, 7, Carrie, 6, The Stand, number 5, Misery, number 4, The Dead Zone, which we're all going to start reading in our book club, number 3, The Dark Tower series, number 2, It, and number 1, The Shining. Bro, you just gave me a good idea and I'm not even kidding. We should do a tennis podcast book club where we all read the same fucking book. I'm into it. I'm down. All right, if you're I down I with that. I told you this was a Spooktober Valentine. It's a Spooktober Christmas. I'm going with that. Okay. Or, or Hanukkah or whatever the hell. Inclusive here on the Tennis Podcast but Rosh Hashanah? If you... <laughs> wow. So, what is that? Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is a new year. Uh-huh. It's a whole new year of Stephen King shit to read. If you are into the idea of a Tennis Podcast book club, let us know. You can shoot us a... Don't shoot us but you can shoot us a message don't. on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Tennis Pod. That's one zero R-S-H-P-O-D. You can also follow me your host at Nick underscore E-M-E-L on Twitter. You can follow Brandon at the appropriately named handle at Sidekick Host on Twitter. And yeah, by the way, I was already planning on this before I knew today's episode, but I've been wanting to do a review of the brand new Stephen King book that came out last month, The Institute. I want to do a review of that book on a Patreon bonus episode coming up in the next month or two. But if you've been living under a rock... What are you, a slug? <laughs> Big old slug tits hanging off you. Uh, we release at least one Patreon exclusive bonus episode per month. The most recent one was the worst movie taglines ever. Before that, we did world news including the Jeffrey Epstein controversy. And before that, we did two truths and a lie about Brandon's fucking weird childhood. If you are interested in any of that, go to patreon.com slash tennis pod. 
That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash tennis pod. For just three bucks a month, you can get those bonus episodes. You can also get a preview of the most recent bonus episode, a five-minute preview uh, right here on the main podcast feed. It's between episodes, fuck, 56 and 50. Uh, it's, it's in the 50s somewhere, a, a preview of our worst movie taglines ever episode. So, there's my Patreon plug. And yeah, I'm going to do a Stephen King book review soon on there. And I know Brandon has some ideas too. I think Brandon's going to do a review of the Disney Plus series, The Mandalorian, right? Yes. When The Mandalorian starts in mid-November, I'll do either a weekly or a bi-weekly recap. It's, Disney is not releasing all the episodes at once. They're following what I think is kind of a more fun model one episode a week, which gives everybody time to digest and dive in and talk and stuff. And I think that makes, I think that's just a more fun experience than uh, just binging all at once in kind of your own bubble, in your own cocoon. In your own cocoon. Well, from our cocoon to yours, we want to thank you for listening. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week for another Spooktober themed episode. That's my sound effect. No. Add a thunderclap. I'm ignoring it. Bye. Bye.